a lot of finance people I find, you know, there's stereotypes evolve for a reason. They're prickly a little bit, but they're not comfortable always because they're so numbers oriented or so logic oriented. They sometimes lose sight of the ultimate objective, which is a people one. You know, your organization is made up of people and how do you influence and grow the people, which will grow your company. It's not just about the numbers. So you got to be engaged and get your audience into what you are trying to accomplish. And that's about being a storyteller. It's about being human and, and being a storyteller. You can't just send out flat numbers. You got to tell a story with them and uh, that'll engage people and draw their attention on what you need them to get noticed and uh, act in a certain way or at least influence their decisions. Hey, this is Danny, and welcome to the Spend Culture Stories podcast. You know, we're not just another boring finance or procurement podcast. We explore the sometimes challenging stories and learnings when people, spend, and organizations meet, and how to drive sustainable growth while still balancing control and agility. We have vulnerable, honest, and raw conversations with only the most forward-thinking CFOs, finance executives, and procurement leaders who are challenging the status quo, that the way we've done it is just not enough. This is Spend Culture Stories. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Spend Culture Stories. This is Danny, and we are happy to have another Canadian join us today. And his name is Daryl Cox. He is the Chief Financial Officer at Vanna Solutions. Hi, Daryl. Hi, Danny. So happy yeah, to be here. Great to have you here. Yeah. Oh, jinx. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm so happy to be here today with you. Same here. It's always great to hear from a fellow Canadian and, you know, great to hear from someone around the, across the coast and, you know, talking a little bit about um, what's happening in your company and also looking forward to when all of this COVID stuff is over. Definitely. Yeah. So maybe we can just start um, telling a little bit of about your role as CFO of Anna Solutions. So what do you do in your role and what does Vanna Solutions do and what problems are you trying to solve for your customers? Yeah, I am the uh, CFO of Vena. Um, I look at myself as chief influencer and a, call it a trusted business advisor. CFO or the finance group typically doesn't make the most important decisions in an organization. That's the business, but we support and aim to uh, provide the best possible support to assist in making a great uh, business decisions towards making a greater business. And uh, we're, we actually see ourselves as quite critical in that role. And if we're doing that really that role really well, we are going to have a better outcome as, as a business. So I look at myself as important, a member of the team um, that way. And the way I do that is uh, in part to run support the management operating processes for the businesses to you know, it's not just about reporting, it's about reporting, planning, evaluating. So you start with a plan, the business executes, um, you help on that execution by helping set great objectives, and then you measure against those. And not just the financial measurements, but also business uh, measures and make sure you get a lot of that into the plan. Um, so leading indicators, not just lagging indicators, and then you would constantly evaluating against that. And, uh, you know, then planning again, and not just doing it on a, uh, you know, once a year, Kind of cycle, but doing it is you know more frequently, quarterly, ideally. So yeah, that's that's what I do, and that's what we do here at Vena. And uh, I'm also a serious Vena champion, and I can be so much more effective in my role because we use Vena throughout our organization and uh, in our finance team. 
And what Venna is, is a, a platform for business planning. It's uh, used to support a best-in-class business planning process by bringing together like systems, data, people from all across an organization. So not just like planning, you know, led by finance and then planning does the templates, or sorry, finance does the templates for the organization, et cetera. It's like, it's the organization, the stakeholders doing their own using this platform with the assistance of finance. For example, you can use Venna to easily link together your financial accounting system, your CRM, like, like Salesforce, your your payroll systems to plan, budget, and forecast using real business drivers. And you can also report against these drivers using Venna on a monthly or even weekly cadence. And what's unique about Venna, because other companies kind of do this, what's unique about Venna is how flexible the platform is, how well you can adopt it to what you do and how you run your business, and how easy it is to bring to life a fully integrated planning process, bringing in data and people from all across your organization. And the cherry on top is my favorite part is that whereas most systems, legacy systems, even new systems, employ a harder to use like proprietary grid, like most planning systems or finance systems employ some kind of grid, um, Venna leverages uh, the grid that everybody knows and loves, Excel. Um, so uh, you don't have to abandon your, your best friend uh, to get into a new planning system. You can, uh, you can continue to use it with Venna. I love that you're a champion of your own product. I know there's a lot of companies out there where when you ask the team, they're a little bit shy about it. Oh, you know, we use something else. But the fact that, you know, you use your own solution and that the solution is also easy to use with what um, accountants are used to. I feel like that's really the cherry on top there. Oh, certainly. I actually joined the company uh, because of the product. So I was, um, before this, I was at uh, another local uh, growth stage uh, software company and uh, enjoying myself. Uh, and then, uh, you know, but at that company, just like other companies before that, I had uh, really struggled with, you know, what to use for planning and uh, building. I'd, I'd always build a little data mark in the background to collect data from all kinds of different systems. Um, and it was, you know, bubble tape, bubble <laughs> bubble tape, bubble gum and duct tape, holding the whole thing together. Um, but then someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, there's this thing, Venna. And they're actually looking for a CFO. And I said, oh, what's Venna? Um, and when I actually found out what it did, I was like, oh, my God, I got to work there because every company in the planet needs Venna because I personally firsthand have been, uh, you know, aching, like trying to build something like this everywhere I've been. But here it is, a product. And I've been here uh, seven years now. Yeah, I love that. And that's quite the journey too. seven years. I'm sure there was a lot of changes. And you know, with the exploding growth that you guys um, have faced. Oh, so many changes. So many changes. Yeah, seven years is a long time. Yes, you know, part of what keeps me here is just this passion for the product. Actually, I really feel like can, I can have a contribution. And I feel it, you know, I'm supporting my finance community by making, uh, enabling them to have better have better lives. It's not a charity, but I feel like I'm <laughs> returning back to my community. Um, this is such a powerful tool for finance people. And uh, yeah, because we're growing, it's 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 changed so much. Like when I first started here, uh, you know, we were around a million dollars in recurring revenue seven years ago. And you can imagine as a startup that size, what that means for your, where you are in accounting processes and such. I'm not sure we really even closed month end back then. Um, but now we certainly do close and we close quickly and we're significantly larger, whole different ballgame. Yeah. As you scale, I'm sure like the culture changes as well. And, you know, we talk a little bit about um, the concept spend culture on this podcast. So how would you describe, let's say, the spend culture of Venice Solutions from when you first started till now? And uh, what are some attitudes, belief and processes around spending that you have created for the team? So I've been very fortunate to work for uh, CEOs who were spend conscious. And uh, very good leaders 
uh, to boot. And so that hasn't changed a lot, except in the like in terms of the attitude and culture. Like, and so that what the way we run that is people get a plan. And we work on, you know, first we work on the plan together as, as a leadership team, as an executive. And then when people are comfortable, the kind of the, the pieces of, uh, that, you know, we have a long-term objectives and, and overall objectives set in, in a way that everyone's happy with. Um, then we, you know, we break out the little puzzle pieces so everyone gets their own piece and they try to get there. Um, and because we, you know, there's not too much interference from me or the CEO on, you know, what the individual business leaders are going to spend on because we give them this platform and, and like ability to make their own decisions, right? So they know what they need to spend to get to a certain objective. And if they're not going to be able to get there or, you know, either they're going to spend less or too much, or they're not going to hit their target and they need, maybe need more to spend. We, because we run the, the budget process for like quarterly at Bena, you're able to make changes in kind of an agile way. We make, it's, it's not just waiting to the end of the year. It's, it's making the changes repeatedly. So the culture is open, transparent, um, and, you know, everyone's comfortable that the people they're shoulder to shoulder with are doing what they would expect them to do uh, because we have this, this communication through, um, through the planning and execution and reporting process. So I would say that's, that's how, we do, how, how, how people are, feel responsible and, and held accountable to uh, what they can spend. I think you touched up on a few keywords there. You know, first you talked about transparency and then communication. I feel like a lot of times in companies, the finance function is often siloed out. You know, um, they're seen as kind of the uh, purse holder, so to speak, or the string holders, but um, they don't actually communicate quite well with their team, especially, you know, when the pandemic hit, there was a reckoning where, okay, now we have to communicate even more now during a remote setting. So I love how you touched on that. And another word was agile. I know you talk a lot about the agile finance leader and the storyteller CFO. Um, so what does that look like to you and how could other CFOs do the same? Agile? Yeah, I use that word like uh, agile with capital A. It's kind of frames, um, the frame. I like to use that that word and a little acronym behind that to frame kind of how I think about things and what I like to keep top of mind to be most effective. I think that I want to be a finance leader who's, a, a, you know, shoulder to shoulder with with my peers. I want to be a critical part of the success of my organization as much as like a sales leader would be, or you know, product leader is. And to be able to maximize this potential to make a, the biggest difference in the org that I can make and be part of the team, make a better business decision. I have to be able to communicate. And I have to be able to do certain things. Can't be in the corner, you know, like the cliche finance department office in the you know the dungeon or the cellar, you know. Um, like that famous Dilbert where he walks down to the expense department and knocks on the door and there's all these stalagmites. <laughs> it's like, um, but it's, uh, you know, it's to be, so it's action-oriented, growth-minded. So action-oriented means whenever you're, uh, you know, you're thinking of something or like even setting a jail account or, or, or if you're producing a report or if you're walking into a meeting, um, it's like always thinking about, what do you want to accomplish? What is the outcome? Who you're talking to? What do they need to be do or get from you to be successful in your role? And how do you enable that? How do you how do you do that? Growth mindset is about it's about you know not only aiming big and thinking forward, but it's also about learning and and and, and growing yourself. It's like uh, so you did something, you saw something in the financials, and you know you learn from that. You do something different. You communicate that out to the organization. Um, it's about integrating technology. There's so much more data 
Um, and technology is getting cheaper and cheaper all the time. There's really no reason why anyone shouldn't be fully embracing technology at this point to make their job better and be more effective in their roles. And it's leading change. It's not, it's not being passive, right? It's like, it's yourself. It's not just what actions you want others to do. It's how you're taking action. And finally, maybe the most important thing is to be engaging and approachable. A lot of finance people, I find, you know, there's stereotypes evolve for a reason. They're prickly a little bit, but they're not comfortable always because they're so numbers oriented or so logic oriented. They sometimes lose sight of the ultimate objective, which is a people one. You know, your organization is made up of people and how do you influence and grow the people, which will grow your company. It's not just about the numbers. So you got to be engaged and get your audience into what you are trying to accomplish. And that's about being a storyteller. It's about being human and, and being a storyteller. You can't just send out flat numbers. You got to tell a story with them and uh, that'll engage people and draw their, get their attention on what you need them to get to, to notice and uh, act in a certain way, or at least influence their decisions. I love that. Being able to tell the stories behind the numbers. I know a lot of times um, when we're reading reports or we're getting like a report back from finance, oftentimes it gets lost in translation, you know, especially when you're talking to different departments and they got their own goals and KPIs. But how does that reflect um, across the organizational budgets and how that is reflect across the forecast? I feel like what you talked about there, that's key, really bridging the gap between, you know, finance and other departments. Yeah, I think I love the word you use there, translator. I often see myself as a translator or, or like the finance role is a bit of a translator. You got like a 10 number alphabet. You're trying to turn that into English or Italian or whatever. <laughs> yeah. What, what does the marketing department speak these days? Is that Greek? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> French? No. <laughs> mm. Lead speak. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, I love that how you're saying also um, finance leaders have to be a little bit more proactive as well. You talked about being able to communicate before something happens and making sure that, you know, you're going off of like a reoccurring approach. I feel like, you know, um, last year it was a lot more reactive where the pandemic started to hit and everybody was trying to fix things. Whereas this year, people are starting to become more proactive in their thinking. So from a mindset and processes perspective, how do you think CFOs and other finance leaders can be more proactive in their thinking? You know, I think it's like, it's really just the same thing. I don't know that it's any, uh, well, it is different, but not really. Let me, let me describe. So um, during the pandemic, or when it first struck, you know, there was like panic. Even the companies that wound up doing really, really well, you know, there's certain certainly a, a pile of companies that were on the unfortunately were hit in the other other way. Um, but some, but even uh, every company was like, oh my god, what's going to happen? Every organization is like, do I? And so a lot of like even us, right? We were like, well, let's plan on sales going way down and uh, let's modify our spend uh, so that we can fit into our our cash our cash envelope and uh, survive this thing. So we moved from focus on growth to a focus on, on preservation. And uh, it was forced on us, right? Because this is not something we wanted. It's something that happened, but coming out of this, you know, so that uncertainty is not there, but you can make your own uncertainty. If you want to uh, be successful and really push the envelope, you're going to be experimenting and doing things that haven't been, haven't been done before or that you haven't done or your organization hasn't done before. And uh, that that creates uncertainty. Is it going to work or is it going to not work? And it's the same principle almost uh, where, you know, the finance 
person supported the the pandemic in a way which enabled the quick business decision with all the best facts at hand to pivot the organization and recast the plan and measure carefully to see whether or not things are going to turn or get worse or right and doing that cycle over and over to the best of their ability well it's the same thing now except that you're creating your own uncertainty uh, so, you know, if you're going to try a whole bunch of different marketing campaigns that you've never done before, it could cost you a bundle if you don't fail fast. So how does the finance department enable the organization to fail fast? It's the same thing. The same skills that we applied during the pandemic we would, and, and, and processes and controls and communication is, is what we're, we should be doing now in a positive way. So different, but the same. I don't know. Does that, make, does that, does that work? <laughs> That's what I believe. Yeah. I totally get what you mean. It's kind of like two sides of the same coin, but kind of seeing where you're looking from it. Yeah, different point of view. It's like the change is not foisted on you. It, you make the change. You're making the, you are making the uncertainty if you're pushing hard. That is the same. And it's the same process that got you through the pandemic that'll get you through to great things. Yeah, I totally get what you mean. Like being a little bit more conscious in the way that you're doing things to prepare for the worst if it does happen again. I like to look at it in a positive way. And you're not preparing for the worst. <laughs> you are preparing for the best. Mm. So you're minimizing. So if you're going to try to fail fast and minimize your marketing losses, you're looking at you know, leading indicators, not, not lagging indicators, just like you were during the pandemic when you're looking for signs over the horizon, whether things are going to get worse or better, you're looking at sales funnel data, you weren't looking at revenue. And it's the same thing today. You know, if you're testing those marketing campaigns to see if they're going to work out or new strategies of some kind, you're looking at leading indicators, not lagging indicators, um, because you'll be able to minimize the cost you, you the cost of, of proving the success of those campaigns and either invest more and be more successful, double down, or cut your losses and re, uh, reallocate those funding to somewhere else where it'll be more have a better return. Yeah, I love that mindset, being able to fail fast, but falling forward as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, um, I love how you are a podcast as well, Daryl. And for those in the audience, it's probably pretty uh, clear that Daryl's definitely done a lot of these before. <laughs> so uh, referring back to one of your talking points in an episode that you did, how can CFOs really prioritize your task? You know, you go through so many things in the day, you work with so many departments. How do you make sure you know what to do first? I like to prioritize my tasks based on what is going to have the greatest impact. Of course, you know, there's table stakes. So, you know, AP and AR and payroll, et cetera, how do you, how do you prioritize that, you know, relative to having something that's going to have a big impact, like making payroll. I mean, you think about not making payroll, it's going to have a huge impact. Uh, but even, you know, at the more mundane level, payroll or AP or AR, looking at those, um, through the lens of like the agile I described, having an impact um, and growth mindset uh, will help you th think about those a little differently. I think you know if you're thinking big and thinking forward, and you're 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 trying to figure out how to characterize a certain expense in AP, you'll think about it differently than if you just you know code it the way you would normally. So I think that you know if you're looking out beyond your day and into the future and who you're trying to get information to make a better business decision, you'll think about even those most mundane tasks differently. Um, but then at the high level, you know, those are, you know, there's the core responsibilities of finance, right? Which is the payroll, the AP, the AR. 
And then there's planning, which is often, um, you know, the planning and the reporting and the evaluation that often uh, takes a second seat to the other thing, just because, you know, you can't miss the payroll. So it's the first part. You can't miss that board report. You can't miss the, right? And so the planning, the business evaluation gets deprioritized. But I really like to emphasize how you influence the business and put that near to my the top of my priority list, because that's how um, ultimately I'm going to help make the business be better and uh, in, into the future, the long term, not just the short term. Yeah, definitely. And I know, um, Vena, that's kind of what you guys help out with. It's the planning part, it's the insights. So um, what do you think are the biggest challenges that companies face when it comes to planning analysis? What are the things that you've seen people do wrong, if there is like a wrong right to it? Do you know, I I see a lot of times, if I, uh, you know, it's hard, right? And uh, to do, to uh, if you, people look at it, it goes, it's hard. I'm not going to do this. People never listen to me anyway. This is the finance person talking to themselves. Why do I bother getting all these people involved and then they don't want to do it? They're complaining about the process, uh, making mistakes. And, um, you know, as there's mistakes made or it takes time for to roll forward a budget or there's wrong data or something, it destroys people, the credibility on the process. So, again, people don't want to participate. Lack of data, just pain, right? That. And so a lot of times the finance person or team or organization is like, nah, you know, what, what's the value really? Um, I think that's that's a big mistake. And uh, so if you actually look at where we can have the biggest influence, it's in having that process run really well. And, you know, it's, if you, it's actually getting harder in a sense because there's so much more data you can bring into the business to make better decisions. And so much more data you can bring into the finance department to help illuminate and make finance data more relevant. Um, you know, instead of just looking at the financials, which, you know, they're important. Uh, if you combine them with like sales data, for example, and you get to unit economics, it's so much more powerful. Um, but you can't do that with financial information alone. You got to bring in all this other data from other sources. So you really can't do it without technology. And this is a theme that I just go back to over and over and over again to be the most effective we can be. You got to take all the pain, all the labor, all the mundane, repetitive tasks out of it and bring in as much data from as many different systems as you can to get to the most stakeholders because not every stakeholder has influence over every number. They have specific numbers. And at the high level, at the executive management level, financials alone aren't interesting. You've got to combine it with other things. And so when you start there and you cascade it down to as many stakeholders, you know, that can be challenging as you got more numbers, you got more stakeholders, you got more systems. But if you get the technology right and you get it in there, um, you can you can really make that process smooth. You can make it meaningful. You can make it you can do it rapidly and without mistakes, increase confidence and participation in the process and uh, you know but having more stakeholders you get more people aligned and you have once you make a business decision at a macro level more people get behind it oh there's just so many positive outcomes so i see we can have so much impact uh but we have to do our job well and take it you know to the end not just report but report plan evaluate the whole business cycle and if we uh are investing in the right technology to do that um, ahead, not just when it's too late, 
we will do a great job and maximize the impact we can have on our organizations. I love what you said there, where it's not just about the financial data, but it's about how do you get other data from other sources and merging that. And, you know, that makes the biggest impact. I think that's super valuable to anybody who's collaborating with other organizations or other departments as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit more about technology. You know, um, I'm also very passionate about technology, um, as you probably would guess based on the people I speak to. Um, so in the finance space, uh, just wondering, what are some emerging solutions out there that you also think um, kind of paves a path for the future of where fintech is going? You know, just look across the finance organization at the manual, at the various manual tasks and uh, things that take time for us to do. And uh, there's there's usually a solution there. It's uh, in, in payments, it's in receivables, it's in uh, treasury management across the organization. And I think the more that you can take out manual labor, the better off you, you will be uh, any one of those repetitive tasks. Um, the payoff is there. And how do you avoid not doing like a systems overload? Because I feel like this is also something a lot of finance leaders face as well. Yes, definitely. There are platform alternatives in some cases that were, you know, sometimes um, they do more than one thing. Uh, but uh at the same time, it's it's uh, you know it's always a balance. Do you buy the best in class for each individual thing, or do you buy a platform? And sometimes the platform helps out. Uh, you know, if you look at the way that uh, Excel has worked in the past, it's basically been a, a business platform. People used it for everything. <laughs> platform of sorts. Yeah, it's crazy how people use Excel as their ERP still nowadays. Yes, I wouldn't advise doing that. <laughs> <laughs> There's other things out there in the market now. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and we did talk a little bit about also moving away from um, the mundane task. So what do you think are the major blockers to finance leaders um, still being stuck in those ways and um, preventing them from being more strategic and looking at those value adds? A lot of time, it's just getting stuck. So you're in this routine. I find it very challenging for a uh, finance department at the end of a cycle to, you know, you know, spend the time they need to do something else, especially in the summer or holiday times. It's like, you know, it, it takes you X amount of days to close the month end, X amount of days to do your analysis. That might lead to a, a variety of different reports communicate that back to the business, work on a plan. Um, and the next thing you know, whoop, whoop, it's month end again, right? <laughs> um, so when when did you have the chance, the moment in there to think about improvement of the finance things? And then, you know, you start a project. Um, and if it's cross-functional in any kind of way, um, you know, every, the other departments might not have that same kind of like window as the finance group. And it's like, uh, you know, where'd you guys go? <laughs> and it just loses momentum. Uh, so what I have seen in the past, and in my finance teams, I typically like to have a group, a small group within the finance team that's responsible for uh, process improvements. And it's, you know, it's, I wouldn't call it specifically systems improvements or system admin or anything like that. It's really about process improvements and uh, supporting those processes with the right system. So the first aim is something like, uh, you know, getting the information to the team sooner better analysis or you know a business outcome and then looking at how finance supports that looking at the process what the gaps are between where you are now and where you want to be tomorrow 
and addressing those in a systematic way with documentation, you know, selecting the right system. And you mentioned earlier about systems overload, definitely a factor in decision making at that point. Uh, do you leverage an existing system? Do you go get a new system? but really evaluating on a case-by-case -case basis based on what your end objective is. That's definitely really valuable to be able to have people on the team kind of um, focus on this, whereas uh, some teams, it's mostly all just people who are focused more on the transactional finance. That's right. And you don't wind up with the best documentation always, and you certainly take a long time to get through things if you're constantly stopping and starting and stopping and starting. Yeah, definitely. Having someone uh, be accountable for that, that's going to be so valuable. Yes, yes. Yeah. So I know um, we're nearing the end of the conversation here. So far, I've learned so much from you, um, being able to, you know, be more proactive in your thinking, um, being able to pull data from different sources, more about Vena. So I feel like a lot of things we talked about so far um, are super valuable for the finance department. So I guess my last question is more of like a general one. What do you think has been your greatest success in learning in your career as a finance leader? In terms of the greatest success, this year was definitely a climax. Um, we completed two debt rounds and an equity raise, uh, which uh, will power our growth forward for many years. In terms of learning, I kind of point to my failures. <laughs> <laughs> um, what good is a failure unless you can learn something from it? And I'm fortunate, I think, I can't, you know, I'm fortunate to have not have anything that I would call a significant failure in my career so far. That said, I certainly have a pile of little failures <laughs> that I hope I have learned a lot from over the years. And um, I think, you know, it's just kind of, I don't know, probably the most important thing a finance leader can do, and it's not just a finance leader, it's any leader, finance otherwise, is to keep your mind open to feedback and, 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 and look at every failure as a learning opportunity not to brush over the failure, not to ignore it. Sometimes it can be harsh. Sometimes the feedback can be direct and from someone, right? It's like, did I really? Yeah. And maybe you're not the best person at something, but can you get better and look at it and try to do it, try to become that person? Don't ignore it. Yeah, my best learning over my career is, is the, I mean, the specific one, hard to uh, pinpoint, but uh, there's definitely, I mean, there's been a ton of them. <laughs> And I think that's such an important mentality to have, right? Every single time you fall down, like what is the learning? Instead of just moving forward with it, how can you apply the learnings to, I, I don't know, in the future or next time something happens like that? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's a wonderful end to our podcast today. Thank you so much again, Daryl, for joining me and chatting with me today. Thank you, Danny. It was a real pleasure. And uh, thank you very much for the opportunity to speak with you today. Yeah, of course. It's my pleasure. And for those who do want to connect with Daryl, I'll make sure to include his LinkedIn profile below and also a link to Venice Solutions as well if you guys are looking for a new tool for your forecasting and financial analysis. And uh, that ends the podcast and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of today. If you like this podcast, please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss another great guest. We'd also appreciate it if you give us a five-star review on iTunes for the Apple listeners out there. This podcast is sponsored by Procurify, a spend management solution that is making managing business spend simple. I know there's still a lot of you that are using spreadsheets, credit cards, and expense forms, or a mix of the above. 
Perhaps you're still using a procurement module in your ERP that is clunky and outdated. Procurify helps you implement proactive controls so that purchases are tracked and approved by the right person before it hits accounts payable. Never have to worry about a surprise invoice ever again. There's a reason why over 400 customers around the world love us. Our award-winning, easy-to-use system is loved by people everywhere. It's actually a purchasing system that your employees will actually want to use, believe it or not. Check us out at Procurify.com, so that's www.procurify.com, and mention the podcast for a sweet listener special on our packages. 